0: Good morning, Village Church. Hey, before we open up Scripture and before we get into preaching through it this morning, um, we're going to say this maybe two times this morning. Um, last Sunday, I was in church in our nation's capital with a bunch of like-minded people, and it was a wonderful experience. And, um, and the next day, I found my way to Arlington Cemetery. And I'd been there once about 20 years ago, but um, I don't think ever in my life uh, I- I've realized more how grateful I am to live in a place where, despite all that we've been through over the last year, and despite maybe all of the issues we may have had with government, national, local, statewide, whatever, here we are, and, and we live in a country where we can stand up and, and the public reading of God's word is, is something that we 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 get to do, and um, and we're just we're just mindful this morning that um, that this is this is much more than a four-day weekend, right? This is much more than a long weekend. It is. It is a weekend where we honor people who actually gave their life for, for, for that. Now, we know we've ultimately been set free from Jesus as Christians, and that's what we're most grateful for. But if you uh, have served in our military, we just want to say we're grateful. Because if you're here today, um, you put your life on the line, and there was a chance you might not be here today. Um, and, and and if you've lost someone, um, you know, Luke and I saw a, a woman grieving over what was one of her her sons or her husband, and um, and, and, and so there's, there's a price to that, no matter how you're connected to them. And, and we just want to pause for one moment and say say thank you, okay, so if, please hear us saying thank you, okay, we're grateful we have a chance to do this this morning. So open your Bible to Nehemiah chapter 9, because, um, because where we live, by God's grace, we get to do that, and we get to read it uh, out loud, and so we're going to do that together as a church this morning.
1: all right good morning village church nehemiah chapter 9 the whole thing now on the 24th day of this month the people of israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads and the israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and iniquities of their fathers and they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the lord their god for a quarter of the day another quarter of it they made confession and worshiped the Lord their God. On the stairs of the Levites stood Jeshua, Benai, Kadmiel, Shepaniah, Benai, Sherebiah, Benai, and Shenani, and they cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. Then the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Benai, Heshebaniah, Sherabiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pethahiah said, stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven and made the heavens of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, and the Jebusite, and the Girgashite. You have kept your promise, for you are righteous. And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea. And performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land, for you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers. And you made a name for yourself, as it is to this day. And you divided the sea before them, so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. And you cast their pursuers into the depths, as a stone into mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud you led them in the day, and by a pillar of fire in the night, to light for them the way in which they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai, and spoke with them from heaven, and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statues and a law by moses your servant you gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst and you told them to go in to possess the lamb that you had sworn to give them but they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments they refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them but they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in egypt but you are a god ready to forgive gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and did not forsake them even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said this is your god who you brought up out of egypt and had committed great blasphemies you and your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness The pillar of cloud to lead them the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them, and did not withhold your manner from their mouth, and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness, and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. And you gave them kingdoms and peoples, and allotted to them every corner. So we took possession of the land of Sihon, king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. You multiplied their children as the stars of heaven, and you brought them into the land that you had told their fathers to enter and possess. So the descendants went in and possessed the land, and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hand with their kings and the peoples of the land, that they might do with them as they would. And they captured fortified cities and a rich land, and took possession of houses full of all good things, cisterns already hewn, vine- vineyards, olive orchards and fruit trees in abundance. so they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. and they committed great blasphemies. Therefore you gave them into the hand of their enemies who made them suffer. in the time of their suffering, they cried out to you when you heard from them from heaven, And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they did evil again before you. And you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies, so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they turned and cried to you, you heard them from heaven. And many times you delivered them according to your mercies. And you warned them in order to turn them back to your law. Yet they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commandments, but sinned against your rules which a person does them, he shall live by them, and turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened of a neck and would not obey. Many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit through your prophets, yet they would not give ear. Therefore you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are gracious and merciful God. Now therefore our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love let not all the hardship seem little to you that has come upon us upon our kings our princes our priests our prophets our fathers and all your people since the time of the kings of assyria until this day that you have been righteous in all that has come upon us for you have dealt faithfully and we have acted wickedly our kings our princes our priests and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them even in their own kingdom, enjoying your great goodness that you gave them, and in the large and rich lamb that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Behold, we are slaves this day in the lamb that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves, and its rich yield goes to kings, from whom you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and our livestock as they please, and we are in great distress. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing on a sealed document of the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests.
0: So if you've been a Christian a while, the word revival means something to you. Um... You may have heard stories about revival in other places, in other countries. You may have heard stories about revival in this country. I spent some time in Boston at the Boston Public Library years ago, and I got to, I got to hold you know, Spurgeon's devotional, and I got to look at, at, the, at the books of, of people who had um, kind of taken some of his teachings from, from, from Europe and, and brought them here, and, and, and some of that spirit of revival that was happening there was happening here, and heard those stories, maybe longed for those moments. Revival is basically when, when God works through his ordinary means that he always does, but when he does it in deeper and broader ways than ever before. Some of the elements of revival, if you study it, are, um, are, are the Word of God, a, a renewed emphasis on the Word of God, the authority of the Word of God, the place of the Word of God among the people of God. There's worship uh, of God, and, and people worship God freely and, and exuberantly and joyfully. There's prayer. Revival is always marked by a movement of prayer, of deep prayer, and even prayers of repentance, and that is the fourth element of revival. It always has repentance attached to it. And and you and I may have experienced moments of revival in our life, moments of revival. There are moments when, when you have a renewed sense of the importance of the Word of God in your life, and you are in it, and it is getting in you. Where you long to worship and you enjoy worship and, and you can't wait to worship God and with his people. Where your prayer life seems to turn more deeply and more broadly. Where, where you repent more often. You become more aware of your sin and you're bringing it before God. But revival is not just a, a, a moment. Revival is a movement of these things among the people of God. And this is what we see happening here in Nehemiah chapter 9, I believe. Now on the 24th day of the month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from the foreigners. That, that is a separation. It's not a racist separation. It's a separation. It's a nationalistic separation. They had made a covenant as a nation with God. And they stood and confessed their sins and their iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God. A quarter of the day, for another quarter of the day, they made confession and worshipped the Lord their God. We see these elements. We see the Word. They're reading the Word of God for three hours. If you thought that was long, Nehemiah 9, or, or the John Ortiz reading a couple weeks ago, which will go down in Village Church folklore, right? I mean, that is... Three hours reading the Word of God out loud. Worship. And we've had worship nights where we just come, and we just come to sing and to worship and to look upward toward God. Prayer. We have prayed in this church, and we've had monthly prayer meetings and gatherings where we've prayed together and for many of you. And repentance. We have moments of this in the life of our church. I have to say this morning, they're, they're actually more brief than, than maybe some of us would like. It usually comes attached to communion, which we'll we share together this morning. And when we talk about being in the Word of God for three hours and, and worshiping and repenting and praying and weeping over sin for three hours with sackcloth and ashes and, and dirt on your head, you might think, this sounds very heavy and weighty. Look, I thought our first discipleship distinctive at Village Church was delight. There were growing and multiplying disciples who were delighting in Jesus. That sounds like joy and gladness and happiness. And this kind of feels like heavy. It kind of feels like repentance feels more like drudgery than delight. But this morning we see that true delight comes from living our lives in line with Jesus' design for them, which will always require repentance. Because our lives are constantly lived out of line with Jesus' best desires and designs for them. And we will sometimes require, actually, a movement of repentance among God's people because a certain group of God's people will be living outside of the lines together for a long time and in a lot of ways. The this morning, I want you to believe that repentance is not drudgery. It is the doorway to delight. Matter of fact, would you just say that with me so we can affirm it together this morning? Repentance is not drudgery. It is the doorway to delight. It is. It is the doorway to delight in God. And when we believe this, we will see that repentance, the repentance that precedes revival is actually a gift. It's a blessing, which I believe is one of the reasons why these people begin to praise God. It says they cried out with a loud voice to the Lord their God. And and the Levites we're kind of like the deacons said, stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be his glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You might say, well, if this kind of repentance, kind of revival style repentance, is, is such a blessing, if it's such a gift, how do I get this? This morning, we're going to see how in a prayer of repentance, this passage is a prayer of repentance among God's people. And we're going to see four characteristics of revival style repentance. So if you're taking notes and you like to jot those things down, here they are this morning. The first one we find, I believe, in verse 6, where it says, You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worship you. Revival-style repentance repents upward. That is the first thing that we know. That revival-style repentance, it repents upward. You, in this prayer, is mentioned so many times. Matter of fact, almost two times per verse, they say the word you. They acknowledge God in some way. It's overwhelming as you read it, and, and it's on purpose because they're supposed to focus upward. Revival style repentance, it repents upward. Revival style repentance is a God centered repentance. Listen to me, it is not just regrets. It is not just regret that the way that you and I have lived our lives have affected others or have affected our lives in some way. It's not just regret that our lives have been affected and impacted by our sin, although that is part of it. Revival-style repentance is it's real repentance. It's real repentance that, that, that comes with the, the understanding that we have sinned against God above all else. In the famous Psalm 51, as David repents against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. This kind of repentance comes when we humbly see ourselves for who we are in light of who he is and how we humbly, and we humbly see how, how, how many ways we have sinned against him. I put together a quick summary for us this morning that throughout this prayer we see that He is the only true God, the one true God, and we are the ones that try to create other gods in our own image, in fact. He is the creator of heaven and earth, and we are the creation. He is the covenant maker, and we are the covenant breakers. He is the miracle worker, and we are the ones that are in need of miracles. He is the leader, and we are the ones that need to be led, or the ones that try to lead ourselves without Him. He is the lawgiver, and we are the lawbreakers. He is the provider, and we are the ones who think that we provide for ourselves, or we are the ones who who think He hasn't provided well enough for us, or we are the ones who take His provision for granted. He is forgiving, and we are the ones who are in need of forgiveness. He is gracious, and we are the ones who need grace. He is merciful, and we are the ones that need mercy when we deserve justice. He is full to anger, and we are the ones that are quick to anger, and the ones that would eventually lead him to a righteous anger over our sin. He is the teacher. We are the ones that need to be taught. He is the giver of our children, and we are the ones who idolize our children or don't steward them well. He is the blesser of our business, and we are the ones that think we run and own our business. He is the one who gives us our real estate, and we're the ones who think we're smart enough to you know, kind of put together our own real estate portfolio. He is the disciplinarian, and we are the ones that need discipline. He is awesome, and we are the ones that should be in awe of him. He is righteous, and we are unrighteous. He is faithful, and we are unfaithful. He is always doing what is right for everyone. And we are the kind of people that tend to want him just to do right for us. This is the humble reality and posture of revival-style repentance. It is a God-centered, God-oriented, upward posture. We're reminded this morning that we will either think little of God and much of ourselves, or we will think much of God and little of ourselves. And revival-style repentance always thinks much of God. Revival-style repentance repents upward. But there's a second characteristic this morning, and it's this, that revival-style repentance repents backward. Maybe you noticed that in this long passage, that revival-style repentance repents backward. It looks back on all the ways God has been faithful to his people and the ways that they have, well, been less than faithful to him. And this is a theme of the book of Ezra and Nehemiah in particular. It's a theme of the Old Testament in general because they made a covenant with God, listen, as a nation. But I think we can learn something from this this morning. I think we've known this throughout history. It's been said many ways, but in similar ways over the course of history, if we don't learn from history, we are destined to repeat it. If we don't learn from history, we are destined to repeat it. And this is as true of spiritual history as it is of chronological history or of nationalistic kinds of history. If we don't look back and confess the sins of our fathers, we are destined to to either miss them and and not think that that can actually be part of our lives, or we're destined to repeat them and just continue to do the same things our spiritual fathers have done. And so they look back, they start by looking back to Abraham, who, chose, who was chosen by God. And God was faithful to Abraham. And you kept your promise, for you are righteous. And it starts by them recognizing that, that God was faithful to Abraham, even though he knew that the descendants of Abraham would not be faithful to him. Then they look back to Egypt and to the exodus. God saw their affliction, he heard their cry, he performed signs and, and wonders, he made a name for himself in Egypt, he divided the sea, and we knew what happened there, and then he led them through by the pillar of cloud, by day and fire at night. God was faithful to deliver his people from Egypt, listen to me, even though he knew they would long to go back there, and just would want to go back to their slavery and their bondage. And then they look back to the giving of the law in verses 13 to 15 where, where God gave them right rules and laws and good commandments that were for their good. I just want to pause and say all of God's commandments are for our good. God wants us to have the, the, the best life, the, the, the freest life, the, the life that, that thrives the most in all kinds of ways in every way. And, and his commandments are meant to, to provide that kind of life for us and to protect us from anything that's less than his best for us. God gave them the commands and the statutes of the law given by Moses, his servant. God was faithful to give them his commands even though he knew they would chronically break them. And then they look back to Numbers and Deuteronomy where we see, but they and our fathers acted presumptuously, presumptuously and stiffened their necks and did not obey your commands. They refused to obey, and they were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their necks, and they appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. God was faithful to them. They were consistently unfaithful to him. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and you did not forsake them. You and your great mercies, you did not forsake them in the wilderness. Because they're going to remember that 40 years you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. That even though God was always faithful to them, and even though they were always unfaithful eventually to him, he was always ready to forgive. He was always ready to restore. He was always ready to renew them. He was always ready to rebuild his people. They look back to the days of Joshua where he brought them into a land that that he had told their fathers that they would enter and possess. So the descendants went in and they actually possessed the land. And and we know the story. They inherited cities that they didn't build and vineyards that they didn't plant and cisterns that they didn't dig. And they ate and they were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your In your great goodness, God was faithful even to bring them into the land and to give them all these things that they did not deserve, even though he knew they would take them for granted. And then they look back on the days of the judges and the captivity. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back. They killed the prophets. They committed great blasphemies. Therefore, you gave them over to their enemies. In the time of their suffering, They cried out to you. You heard them from heaven. You gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But again, they would do evil in in, in his sight. And he would abandon them to their enemies. And then they would cry out, and he would hear, and he would deliver them. Again, verse 28, verse 29. You warned them, yet they acted presumptuously. They did not obey. They sinned against you and your rules. They turned a stubborn shoulder. They stiffened their necks. They would not obey. Verse 30, verse 30. Many years you bore with them in this way, and you warned them by your spirit, through your prophets, but they would not give ear, so you gave them over again. And nevertheless, in your great mercy, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and a merciful God. If you know the Bible, you know all this looking back. And in particular, looking back to the time of the Judges, you know that the the cycle, the the pattern in the book of the Judges is really a summary of the way that God's people have have really always acted toward him. There's always disobedience. It it started in the garden and it continued among God's people and it continues to this day. This is the cycle that we go through as God's people. There is disobedience to his commands. And then there is some kind of discipline, in this case, captivity. God's people cry out because the discipline feels weighty, it feels too heavy, it feels too much, and, and God has mercy on them, even though they deserve the judgment. God has mercy on them, and they praise God, and then they delight themselves in him again. And, and this is a cycle, then they disobey again and then he disciplines them again, and then they cry out, and there's this divine mercy that he offers, and then they begin to delight in him again, and this is the cycle of God's people. It's a daily thing. Do you see this happening in your life daily, where you disobey? There's some discipline. You cry out for divine mercy and forgiveness, and then you delight in God because he forgives you, and, and you delight in him in new ways again, but This is a daily thing. This is a personal thing. But what we see here is this is a generational thing. Which is why revival-style repentance, it always includes looking backwards. And for all the good that the people of God have done in our nation, hospitals, orphanages, soup kitchens, clothing stores and thrift shops and all kinds of ways to care for those who are the least and the lost. So many ways, so so much good that Christians have done in our country and in our culture. There are plenty of things that we should look back on and repent of as the people of God in this place. And now, it's not the same for us as it was for them as, as a nation in a sense, but are there not some lessons we can learn here? I mean, there, there were a time in our nation where, where churches segregated themselves because of someone's skin color. And you know what's a shame? Some, some churches still do that who profess the name of Christ. You know, through our, our, our history, there, Christians have been fairly self-righteous in many ways. What the shame, shame is is that is we still do that. I mean, there's all kinds of examples that we could go on and say, like, there are things that we should recognize from our past that, that we should not miss, that things that we should repent of, things that we should confess, things that we should acknowledge, things that we should say we, we don't want to live that way. The Village Church, by God's grace, will not be a self-righteous church. We'll be honest about our sin and we'll repent of it before God and we'll live with joy because we have freedom and through God's forgiveness. By God's grace, the Village Church will never be a church that segregates itself based on what color our skin is or how much money we make or or whatever else that the powers that be in our nation want to divide us over. It's not going to happen here by God's grace. We can look back on those things and we can learn from those things and we don't have to repeat the sins of our fathers. There's a third characteristic of revival style repentance. The prayer of repentance repents inward. It not only repents upward, it starts there. It not only repents backwards, it recognizes that if we don't sort of learn from history, we're destined to repeat it. It repents inward. It seems to me that everything in our culture today encourages us not to look inward for sin, it encourages us to look outward. Our culture is ridden with this idea that it's everyone else's fault. And then it's everyone else's responsibility. It's not my responsibility. I, I can't imagine a generation in our country that has taken less responsibility for their actions. And I'm talking for all of us. Revival style repentance is different from that. It looks inward. Everything in our nature tells us to run from recognizing our sin because we don't like to deal with our sin. Romans chapter 1 tells us we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. We don't want to suppress, we want to suppress the truth about our sin. Revival style repentance does not suppress the truth of our sin, it confesses the truth of our own sin. And we see this beginning in verse 32 where it says, Now therefore, the Lord God, our God, a great, the mighty, and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love. Not Let not all the hardships seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you dealt faithfully. Here's where it changes. Here's where it shifts. And we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests, our fathers have not kept your law and paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them. There's a shift from they to we in this moment, and revival-style repentance recognizes the we and the I, not just the they. The kind of repentance that precedes revival, it recognizes the we and it recognizes the I, not just the they, those people out there. It's really easy to look at the history of God's people in any nation. It's really easy to look at the history of God's people in our nation and see how they have sinned against God. It's a different thing to consider how we have done that. And it's a different thing for me to consider how I have done that, how I have sinned against God. God's people here, there's like a little interlude, I believe, in it and in it, they, they recognize there are natural consequences to this. Right? There's sort of a reaping and a sowing effect that is a spiritual law. And, and they see it, even in their own kingdom, and amid your great goodness that you gave them, and in the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Behold, we're slaves in this day. In the land that you gave your fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts, behold, we're slaves. And it's, it's rich food. Yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. And they rule over our bodies, over our livestock as they please. And we are in great duress. They recognize that there's a natural consequence to this when, when we don't repent upward and when we don't repent backward and when we don't repent inward. There is a discipline that comes and there are natural consequences to come come to living that way. And God sometimes uses those. We call it the passive wrath of God sometimes, that that God just allows those things to unfold in front of us. And this is what's happened to them. And they're in this cycle again, disobedience and discipline and divine mercy and delight. And right now they are in the discipline and they know it. And to move beyond discipline into divine mercy we first have to acknowledge how these things have been not only true of them, but true of us and true of me. I mean, you look at this list of the things that they were, the way it describes them, it's really easy to say that that they were presumptuous, right? It's another thing to say that we have been presumptuous or that I have been. It's easy to say, like, all those people out there, they're so stiff-necked, but... It's another thing to say, we're kind of stiff-necked, and you know what? I have been stiff-necked. It's really easy to say, like, all those people beyond... ...and blasphemous and rebellious and fat and murderers and stubborn and sinful and wicked... ...disobedient and idolatrous and blasphemous and rebellious and fat and murderers and, and stubborn and sinful and wicked or that I have been. Revival style repentance always recognizes the we and the I, not just the they. I know this feels hard, but it's good. Remember, repentance is not drudgery, it's the doorway to delight. There's one more characteristic to revival style repentance, and I think we find it in verse 38 as we end our time together this morning. It says, because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed documents are the names of our princes and our Levites and our priests. You know, reaffirm the covenant they are making with God. You know, some of you have, have made a covenant to partner together as village partners, and I've done a number of partner interviews over the last couple of weeks. And, and at the end of it, you know, there's this, <laughs> there's this partner signature page where, where all the pastors have signed, and, and you're going to sign your name like in writing. And there's something meaningful about writing it down. They're making a firm covenant. Right? Revival-style repentance looks forward. It doesn't just look upward. It starts there. It doesn't just look backward. We need to go there. It doesn't just look inward. Have to go there. But revival-style repentance also, it looks forward. Right? Repentance means not only turning from sin, but it means turning toward God. That in revival-style repentance, by God's grace, we now get to look forward. We get to look forward to a different life. We get to look forward to a better life. We get to look forward to living our lives the way God always intended. We get to look forward to a life of blessing, a life of joy, a life of delight before God and other people. Revival-style repentance, it looks forward. It's not a kind of repentance that, that just stays in this weighty moment forever, but it's, 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 a, it's a kind of repentance that, that allows that weight to propel us forward into a new and forgiven and free life before God by his grace. And this is why we say that repentance is not drudgery. It is the doorway to delight. So as you and I move forward this morning after hearing these things, I believe there are three paths forward this morning. And after hearing all of this or, or considering this, this morning, you, you have three pathways forward, and so do I. And so do we as a people. The first path forward is, is, is the path of regret. It's a path that says, you know, we're, we're sorry for what we've done because it's affected our lives and it's affected the lives of the people around us. So we feel bad. We just don't change. And unfortunately, we, we think about Judas in a place like this. Maybe he would be a prime example. So there is a path forward. It's regret. And, and some of you may choose the regret path this morning. I hope you don't, but unbeknownst to you, you may, if you're not hearing this morning, you may choose the path of regret. You'll just feel bad, you'll feel sorry, but there'll be no change. The second path on the other side is is religion. And, and, And what you'll do if you choose that path this morning is you'll hear all of these things and you'll just think, I've been a very bad boy, I've been a very bad girl, like I need to do something to change myself, to make myself better. So I need to do things to to pay back God for what I've done wrong, to prove to him just how sorry I am. And I can do it. I know I can do it. And religion feels bad, and it wants to change. But listen, it never truly will. Because it's never a change at the level of the heart. But as always, there's a third way. There's a better way. There's a better way than just regret or or just religion, there's there's actually real repentance, which is where we run from sin and we run to Jesus. It, it is where we feel bad in some way. There, there is a remorse that's there for sin, of course there is. And where we want to change. And when we walk this path, actually, we can change. We can change through the power of Jesus and his spirit that is at work within us, just like we saw the spirit at work in this Old Testament passage in Nehemiah chapter 9. The Spirit of God is now at work in us. And so we can hear these things, and, and, and we can repent from our sin, and we can change by the power of God. The reason we can do this is because there is someone who never disobeyed God. He never sinned against God. He never started that unfortunate cycle. There was no sin. He was tempted in every we, way we are, yet without sin. And there is someone who who never needed divine discipline because he had no sin. But instead of divine discipline, he took divine punishment upon himself on the cross for your sake and for mine. There's someone who didn't need any divine mercy. But instead, he chose to walk to a cross where he would have divine justice put on him for my sin, and for yours, so that we would never have to feel the weight of that by God's grace. And there is someone who always delights in God and who gives us an opportunity to do the same as we place our faith and our hope and our trust in him. And I think that's connected to the good news this morning. And if you're new with us, At the Village Church, we always want to give you good news every morning. And you know what? Especially on a morning (laughs) like this, there is good news in this. And it is this, that we can receive the gift of repentance because of the sinless life and the substitutionary death of Jesus. That when we recognize his life lived on our behalf and his death died on our behalf and we place our faith and our hope and our trust in him as the son of God who comes to forgive us of our sin. We are forgiven for our sin, and we're free now to live our lives in obedience to God by the power of his Holy Spirit, receiving that gift of repentance and walking into delight. Would you pray with me? Lord, this morning on a morning like this, we pause for a moment and we recognize that um, it's not just that they have sinned, but that we have. And I'm sure like my brothers and sisters this morning, I realize that, that I have. It's not just we, it's, it's me. And this just feels almost in a sense so, so, so trite, Lord, but I, I just wanna to, want to say I'm sorry. And we want to say we're sorry, and we want to agree with you that, that there's all kinds of sin in our life. And, Lord, you know this week I've thought of specific sin in my own life. And, and I'm sure that as my brothers and sisters sit here, that your spirit draws attention to those specific sins in our lives. And this morning we just want to pause and we want to agree with you that those things are sinful. And we want to tell you we're sorry because we love you. Not just because we regret what those things have caused. We do, but we regret sinning against you because you're good and kind and gracious and generous and loving and patient with us. Lord, would you empower us to turn from those things? And would you also enable us this morning to to turn to a posture that looks forward because we know that in Christ we are forgiven and we're free. Thank you that even though our sins were many, Lord, that your mercy is always more. Where sin abounds, grace has abounded all the more.